with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right and all his works is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Wherever you are, I trust you can look around and see the goodness of the Lord. And so that gives you the reason to sing shouts of praise to our God. Amen? So I trust that you will do that today. And as the others, as they come in, they will come in with that attitude. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We honor you. We welcome you in our midst this morning, Holy Spirit. Come by here. Come tabernacle with us. We pray your anointing would flow from the pulpit to the pews. We pray, God, as they enter, may they enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. We pray for a spirit of unity in our worship today. God, we ask that you will take full and complete control. We ask for the Spirit of God to have liberty. Set those that are bound, set them free, God. We ask that you'll touch those who are feeling ill. Touch and make them whole this morning. Father, anoint the worship team. Anoint their lips. Anoint the musicians. Anoint the technology. We bind every spirit which is not of God. And God, we turn it over to you today. Because without you, we can do nothing. So we say, come and have your way. In this place, we pray. In Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Our moderator this morning said, TGIS. Yeah. What does that mean? Thank God it's Sunday. Thank God it's Sunday. Hallelujah. Someone says, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
glad this morning. Hallelujah. Can I see some smiles? Yes, hallelujah. The song says, you are the most high God. And he is the most high God. He's in control. And he's over everything that concerns us. And we can rejoice in that fact this morning. All other gods, they are the works of men. You are the most high God. There is none like all other gods. They are the works of men. But you are the most high God. You are 
get a chance to move out of your seat and go greet your neighbor and make sure they know that he's the most high. Do I have an agreement? Come on, you got to move out your seat. Jehovah, you are the most high. Oh, 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 oh. You are the most high God. Jehovah, you are the most Repeat after me. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? I will wait on you. I will trust in you. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We trust in our God this morning because we have a hope this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
in the Lord. We have nothing to fear because we set our hope on the everlasting God. On the everlasting God. The God that never changes. He remains the same. He's consistent. Sometimes our friends get a little flaky. Sometimes our spouses get a little flaky. Our children get a little flaky. The so-called best friend gets a little flaky. But God is consistent. He remains the same. And he's true to his word. Whatever he said, he's going to do it. Anybody need strength this morning? Anybody need hope? Anybody need a little bit of joy? We live in a world that has become so dark, yet we have the light. Hallelujah. 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 God, we look to you this morning. We will not be overwhelmed. Well, hallelujah. Thank you. God, I look to you. I won't be over. That's right. You sing it. Make it personal. Give me. Yes, come on, tell him this morning to see things like you do. Yes, God, I look to you. You wear my helpless from. Oh, give me wisdom. You know just what.
I will love you. First of all, you're asking him, give you vision, give you wisdom. We don't know what to do, but we need his wisdom. And I trust you not just sing it, but you really meant it. And ask the one who knows all things. Amen. Praise God. This morning, our prayer service is a little bit different, or we're going to be praying. We're in the month of October. And so we want to be praying, and I trust you have been praying and before, and since the month of October, you have stepped it up a little bit more. We're praying for our pastors. Amen? So you're going, we're all going to be praying, and if they would get the prayer on the overhead for me, um, for us, so we can do the prayer together, we want to pray for our pastors, Scarlet Diary, and we trust as you continue to pray for them through the month of October, you will just add a little fast into it also. Amen? Technology. The prayer on the overhead, please. you go to the next slide, please? We want to get ready to start. Thank you. So we're praying together. One, two, three. Father, we pray that our pastors continue to seek greater knowledge of you. Please reveal yourself to them in a personal way. Anoint them to preach and teach the word with boldness. Restore and strengthen them through your grace. Fill their hearts with love for you and for people. Father, help them to discern your will for their lives in this ministry. Help them to yield themselves completely to your will. Teach them to always rejoice in you. Draw them into a more intimate relationship with you. Keep their eyes fixed on you 
and their ears open to your voice. Father, strengthen their faith and help them to trust in you to accomplish the work refreshed through the Holy Spirit. Keep them from anxiety. Supply their spiritual, physical, and financial needs. Bless their children, Jonathan and Brian, with wisdom and divine protection. Help them to walk before you in integrity. Help them to serve in the spirit of humility. Lord God, answer pastors Carl and Diary Francis prayer in the day of trouble. God of Jacob, defend them. Send them help from the sanctuary. Strengthen them. Grant them their heart's desires and fulfill all their petitions. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. That's an idea, and that's the scripture that was up there. It's all scripture. Give you an idea how you're to pray for our pastors. And you can personalize it. It's your pastor. Say, I'm praying for my pastors. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you, Pastor and Sister Francis. <laughs> Francis slipped away, but God bless you. Appreciate you. It's good to be in the house one more time. Amen? At this time, I want to welcome you. We want to find out, are there any first-time guests in our midst? Would you just stand? Any first-time guests or midst? Oh, praise the Lord. Give them a warm welcome. The usher will give you a packet. And in the packet, you will find a card. You can please fill it out best as you understand it. And turn it in when the offering bucket passes your way. And of course, before you leave today, we'll invite you to our hospitality suite where you'll be refreshed before you leave. We thank you for coming. Give them a round of applause again. We thank you for coming and may you sense the presence of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Any second timers in our midst? Anyone visiting again for the second time? No one? Amen. All right. So we have to invite some other people and remind the ones who came before to come again for the second time. Amen? Amen. Give yourselves a hand. Amen. Praise God. And for those watching by the World Wide Web, we welcome you also. We trust that whenever you find it possible, you can visit physically with us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. It's good to be in God's house one more time. Amen. At this time, I'd like to welcome Sister Valda. She comes with the scripture reading for us. everyone. This morning's scripture references are based upon the theme of our pastor's appreciation, appreciating the givers of spiritual knowledge. So the first reference is taken from Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15. I would just ask you to listen as I will be reading from the NLT version. Jeremiah 3.15 says, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. 
The other scripture is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Um, and these two other scriptures are in line with Paul's advice to the church concerning elders. And it says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Next one is 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. And it says, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Can you say amen to that? This is the word of the Lord. God bless. Thank you, Sister Valdi. Praise the Lord. Did you hear the word? It wasn't her word at all. It was written, and as it says, it, the word is written for our learning. Amen? So if you didn't know it before, you heard it read, learn from it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We give God praise. We want to turn our attention to some announcements at this time. Ladies, ladies, let me hear the ladies say amen. Have you seen these cards before? Yes? Just a few of you seen them? Okay, this is the women's conference. Our women's conference is coming up November 3rd and 4th. The registration is actively going on. And so we're asking you, those of you who are planning to come, if you register and pay before or by the 15th, which is next Sunday, you'll get your registration for $35. And the college students and teens, your price is $20. Now, if you go after the 15th, which is next Sunday, it goes up to $45 and $30. Now, could you do something else with $10? Yes? So you want to take care of this by the 15th, okay? $35 by the 15th or 20 if you're a college or a teenage student. And we have T-shirts, and the T-shirts varies either $12 or $14, depending on your size. We have the registration forms at the welcome desk, or someone will be on the outside at the table we have set up that you can register and pay for your t-shirt and your conference registration. It promises to be an awesome conference. God is so much into this conference. We don't want you to miss out. So register, please. Get registered and pay by next Sunday. The speakers are lined up in such a fashion. And those of you who were Larry last year, Dr. Benjamin will be back so please ladies let the ladies come on out invite a friend too okay and come on out and enjoy what god is spreading a table for us ladies amen amen praise god so pastor's appreciation service is on the 22nd of this month and it's one service how many service do you know the time 9 a.m., not 8, not 11, but at 9 a.m., one service. And small groups, 
starts this week, Monday. So if you haven't yet signed up, you can see Sister Quabia or call the church office. They will tell you where the various groups are meeting. And you get to join one of those small groups. Amen? Amen. Instead Bible College Level 2 will begin at the end of October. I'm sure you might, if you're interested, you probably have signed up already. I think Pastor has been doing interviews, so I trust you have already signed up. Amen? I want to remind you, if you get one of these when you come in, I think it was in your program. It's our prayer prompts we'll be using. The first side of the prayer prompts is to pray. We're in the month of October. Pray for our pastors. The pastor's appreciation is this month. We want to pray for our pastors, and we're asking, I mentioned earlier, if you could just step it up a notch. Add fasting to it. You can fast a meal, where you can go a whole day. That's good. The Lord will reward you. It is not for them to say, oh, I'm just doing this for them. You're doing it for them, but you're also giving God glory when you pray for his servants. Amen? So we'll be using this, and also for third Friday prayer not prayer meeting, keep your prompts, pray, be intentional about praying. Now we're asking this week, the north and the east, those who live in the north and those who live in the east, please take some time to fast and pray. And next week, those who live in the south and the west will get their time to fast and pray. Now we're not tying you down. If you can do both weeks, go ahead. Amen? More things. On the other side of the prayer prompts, we also have the women's conference. Prompts to pray for the women's conference. So we're asking you, please participate. That's one way to appreciate your pastor. Ramp up your prayer life. They're people of prayer. A man and a woman of prayer. So... We're asking you to participate very much into the prayer. So if you didn't get one, please take one. And this is not only for the ladies, men too, and young ladies and young men. Please take one and participate in that also. Now, I just want to do something when I know it's pastor's appreciation. And I was sitting down, and I know I'm moderating, and I'm saying, you know, what to do and all that. And I know the scriptures. And so I went to the scriptures and I, Sister Valda, read them. See, God does things in order. He just ties things and he confirms here and confirms there and everything. And it's the scripture. So we're not making it up. God's word is true and it's clear. And these are what, the same scriptures I came up with when I was doing my planning and talking to the Lord. But I just want to be deliberate about some of the things in the scripture. Um, and 1 Timothy 5 and 17, you hear it read in the New Living. And it says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And I had to look how the word honor was qualified. It says, not just honor, but double honor. Let them be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Those who labor in the word and doctrine. Here in this church, if you have been coming for a long time, you're a member, 
you know that the word is being preached and teaching this church. Can I hear you say amen? And it's not only just the word, but sound doctrine. Because there are many places out there. I have, I'm not saying because I've been there. I've heard stories of some kind of doctrine that has been taught in different places. So we want to count our pastor and appreciate them. Double honor because God's word said so and it is so. And I want to look at the other scripture. I looked at it, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, verse 13. You heard it read before. And the Apostle Paul says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. They're not over you because they want to be over your business or anything, but doing God's work. Amen? It says, over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13 says, esteem them very highly. Not just highly. Here we get another qualifier. Very highly. We want to esteem our pastors very highly. And we know we don't tell them, I don't say as much as I should that I love them and appreciate them. But I do. I talk to God on their behalf a lot. And I don't go to God and get upset with God and anything on their behalf. I ask God to keep them and to preserve them. And Pastor and Sister Francis, my encouragement to you today, don't get weary in doing well because you will reap in due time if you don't faint. It's God calls you. And I love this. They've been obedient. They could have looked at their profession and says, I can't leave this because people have done that. I can't leave what I do. They were at the top of their career. God called. They answered. Pastor, Sister Francis, I appreciate you. I love you. I pray for you. I trust that I'm sure that... As time goes on, you will realize, and I know you have been realizing it, and say the fruit of our labor. We appreciate you. And you have Brian and Jonathan. I know Jonathan is not here, but send him our regards. We love them. We love Brian and Jonathan. We appreciate you as our pastors. We thank you for laboring in the word and doctrine. And Jesus, when they were, they didn't believe Jesus when he said who he was. And he says, believe me for the work's sake. Believe our pastors for what they do for us. If you have something else against them, believe them for what they're doing in the vineyard as servants of the living God. So I trust for the rest of the month, they would truly, truly, Pray that you be intentional about your spiritual life. Come to get the word. Come to prayer. Do it and knowing that because they're going to have to give an account for your souls. So when they do it, how about you being obedient in return and do as they say because they don't tell you from themselves. They tell you from the word and they're very quick to point you to the word. They're very quick 
to point you to the word. Sister Francis, I want to thank you very much when you met me the first time. You asked me, why are you not saved? I thank you for sowing the seed, ma'am. I thank you so much. I really do thank you. That was some 20-something years ago. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Amen. Praise God. And of course, you know that you not only say you appreciate somebody and you love them, it's a doing thing. So I trust that you got your envelope from outside and you have been praying and asking the Lord. Now, they didn't, they're not telling anybody how much to give, but we sung a while ago, give us wisdom to know just what to do. Ask the Lord what to do with the envelope. Amen? And trust that when you come out and whatever else you want to do to appreciate them, until then and through the month of October, it's up to you. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. At this time, is Sister Margaret here? Yes. So welcome, Sister Margaret, crew, and family as they come with a tribute to our pastors. Good morning to my pastors, Carl and Diary Francis, to our visitors and newcomers, to my church family and friends. When I was asked to give a tribute to our pastors, I thought, how do you put 16 years of love and appreciation in three minutes? I had to go back to my English classes and one of the techniques learned a synopsis. However, this synopsis had to be one that is so personal that you, the congregation, would identify with what is being said. Pastors Carl and Diary Francis, I pray that our family synopsis will adequately weave a corner of this October appreciation fabric depicting God's love for his people taught to us by obedient shepherds who choose to answer the call to shepherd his flock. Jeremiah 3:15 reads, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. My family became members of a family that has its foundation grounded in the scriptures. Pastors, it is because of your commitment that we are now part of a family that is anchored in the word and the body of Christ. Pastor Carl Francis, through your messages, my faith and that of my husband has grown exponentially despite the challenges we have had to face over these past years. On prayer and praying, Sister Francis, 
Let me go back to a time when my knowledge of God and my spiritual growth was at a slow pace. During this period, I could not, in clear conscience, even call myself a Sunday-only worshiper. However, Sister Frances, during this period, what I remembered most was that you never pointed out my absences. Instead, what you did was to let me know in that quiet, direct, and personal way that is uniquely you, that you never stopped praying for me. This eventually became very personal for me over time, and I began not only to believe, but also to be encouraged. Where I am today in my prayer life is a direct result of cause and effect. It is because of your love, because of your encouragement, because of your teachings and prayers that I now pray intentionally and purposely. I thank you for loving my family, for loving my children, especially my children, always spurring them on to love the Lord and to be all that they can be in the Lord. I thank you for telling me to leave my husband when he stayed in the churchyard for the entire service. Look at him now. He's in the choir. First, Timothy 5:17 reads, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. I say to you, my friends, this morning, the laborers are indeed worthy of their wages, and these are not my words. And now, let us stand and read together Colossians 1, 9 through 12. If you will stand with me, and um, we will read when you have found it. Begin. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. To my pastors, I take great pride and joy in saying, my pastors. This speaks of a relationship, and it is what you have nurtured here at Living Word Open Bible, and what we have. Be encouraged. 1 Corinthians 15:58 reads, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We, the Cura family of Living Word, Open Bible Church, say, God bless you and your family. We love you. Thank you.
Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Sister Margaret and family. Well said. And I trust if we should open it for you to speak, we could all hear the song, the, the, the tone and saying, we're saying the same thing. Amen. Amen. At this time, as we continue in worship, I invite the ushers that they would come with your tithes and offering this morning. Father, we thank you that we have no lack in this house, and there's no lack among your people. Bless us now, Lord, as we give, cheerfully and joyfully, in Jesus' name. Thank you, musicians. Amen. Praise God. You came to hear the word today. God's servant will deliver the word today. I trust you open your ears, open your hearts, be receptive to the word. And if you're in here and you're an intercessor, you pray in the meantime. Amen. At this time, I'd like to take the opportunity to welcome our senior pastor, Pastor Carl Francis. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Praise God. There's some words that when we hear them, we sit up. Some words that if we were doing something else, and you hear those words, people's attention is drawn immediately to it. 
like if I mention the word food. Even those who were busy with something else want to, he said, did he say food? And then if I mention the word sex, whoa, everybody's awake now. They want to know what is he going to say about, what is he saying about sex? Did I miss something? So I wonder what do you think of when I say the word conflict? I'm not sure what comes to mind to you, but there are some images that come to your mind. And one of the things that I remember about that is a newspaper article that I read some years ago. It was very shocking. I would never have expected to have read that in the newspaper. But the article was captioned, Deacons in Machete War in the Church. Can you imagine that? And it was a real thing. The deacons had come and some were on one side and some were on the other side. And they had, there was such a division in the church and the issue that they were arguing over was so intense that this particular Sunday, each group brought their machete to church. Now that should never have been. That should never have been. And so we, what we find out is that conflicts can get out of hand and can get to the point where people who are supposed to behave differently and behave in a manner consistent with the word of God are behaving like madmen. And so today we want to take a look at how do you keep the unity in the spirit? So we want you to turn in your, to, to look in your Bibles, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start there, and we're going to walk a little journey through Acts chapter 4, and going to some other chapters, 9 and 11 and 12 and 13 and so forth. We're going to take a little walk through the Bible there, and then um, I'm going to ask another person to come. I'm going to introduce her later on, and she's going to wrap up for me. So we are doing, doing this together today. So before we get into Acts chapter 4, let's pray. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you that your words are life unto those that find them and literal medicine unto our flesh. May you speak to us as only you can. We ask that your Holy Spirit will do a work in us. Let no one leave the way they came. No one watching us by the world wide web be the same. And we give you thanks for what you're doing and what you will do. But we ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people says, Amen. In Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32, the Bible, using the Living Bible translation, it says, All the believers were of one heart and mind, and no one felt that what he owned was his own. Everyone was sharing. Imagine a church where you don't consider what you own as you own it, but everything is open, and if there was a need, that need was met. The Bible says there was no lack, no poverty in that church. Somebody had a need, guess what they went on to say? It's, there's some people sold their, an extra piece of land that they had. Some people sold an extra house that they had. And they brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet so that the needs in the congregation could be met. Wouldn't you love to be a part of that? Amen? That's a great congregation. And so it is that there is this flow of the Spirit there is this harmony in the church. There is this unity. And of course, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in 
unity. It's wonderful when that happens. But we realize that sometimes that's not always the case. But in this case, in the early church, this was happening. And they talked about a man by the name of Joseph, who was nicknamed Barnabas, which they call encourager. And Barnabas was one of the persons in the early church, and he was one of the prophets. And then the Bible switches into chapter 9. We, we start learning about a man by the name of Saul. And he was, going to, he was persecuting the Christians. He brought them into, he, he went around finding them, arresting them, asking permission to persecute them from the high priest. Because they did not believe what he believed. They did not believe in the Jewish practices that he exposed. He believed that they should follow the Jewish practices. And if they weren't, they should be, actually in his mind, they should be killed. And so this was happening. And then one day when he was going to gather some Christians, he was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appeared to him in a miraculous way. The Bible tells us a light came, and the light was so bright, he fell to the ground blinded. And the voice spoke to him. And from that day, Paul, Saul was converted, and his name was changed to Paul. And you know, immediately the Bible says, once once he was converted, he began to preach fervently about Jesus Christ. And he began to tell others that you need, you remember when you first got saved, how you wanted to tell everybody? How you wanted to witness a lot? And then it seemed like over time, you know what was happening? We don't talk to people as much anymore about it. Isn't that something? We need to go back to the, where we first saw the light. Didn't amen? And so it is that, so, so Paul was very vehement. He was preaching the gospel and telling others about it. And he went to Jerusalem, and the brethren there remember that this was the man that used to persecute the Christians. So when he walked into the church, they, they didn't want to associate with him, and they, they thought he was a fake. And the Bible says Barnabas brought him to the apostles, and told them how Paul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus. And how the Lord had spoken to him. And how Paul has been preaching powerfully in the name of Jesus. The very person that he was refusing people or arresting people to speak in that name before. And so because of what Barnabas said, they accepted him. Well, lo and behold, we move down to Acts chapter 11. And what was happening, because of Paul's preaching... The people were coming to Christ. And so the apostles heard about it. And what did they do? They sent Barnabas down to Antioch. They sent Barnabas down to Antioch where people were coming to Christ. And they said, go down and encourage the brethren there. And so Saul, uh, Barnabas went down to Antioch and he was encouraging the people. And, and he was also preaching and many more were coming to Christ. And Barnabas was not this kind of a person that was just wanted to be in the limelight for himself. He thought about Paul. And he remembered that Paul was used mightily of God. And the Bible says he went to find Paul. He went to hunt for him, search him out, and brought him to Antioch. And says, my friend, you can do some great work here. You are a great preacher. God's been using you. I think you can make an impact in this city. Come to Antioch. And he brought him to Antioch. And together... Paul and Barnabas became a dynamic team ministering to the people in Antioch and many were coming to Christ. 
And so what we find now is that there is this team. There is this unity between Paul and Barnabas. And they began to travel around from town to town, from city to city, preaching together the gospel. And I will tell you, they saw many things happening. God used them powerfully. One time Paul was preaching. The Bible says he looked at the man and he said he saw that the man had faith to be healed. A man that was crippled from birth. How do you look at somebody and can tell that they have faith at that moment? But as Paul was preaching, he looked at the man and he saw that the man that was crippled from birth had faith to be healed. And he says, stand up. And the man immediately jumped up out of his seat and everything was made whole at the instant. And the people thought he was a god. And they began and they said, Barnabas is a god. And they gave Barnabas a name, Jupiter. And they gave Paul another name. And they came to worship them. And Barnabas and Paul said, no, 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 no. Please don't do this. We are just mere mortals like you. Let me tell you about where that power comes from. And then they began to explain about Jesus Christ to this group. And so these, these two people were now being used of God. And one, on the journey when they were coming from Jerusalem, they decided to take a little young man with them by the name of John Mark. And as they began to go around the churches and travel around from city to city, they came to a certain point where Mark says, you know what? I don't want to go anymore. I, 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 this is not for me. And so the Bible says Mark deserted them. And when Mark left them, something in the head of Paul that he doesn't like, he didn't like deserters. And so he, he never forgot it. He kept it in the back of his mind somewhere that this young man, I, I, I don't know if I can trust him to help me with the gospel. And so over time, they, they, they traveled around and they began to minister to the churches. And then there comes a time when some brethren from Jerusalem came to Antioch and was bringing false doctrine. And the people in Antioch says, well, we need to get the right thing from the apostles from the headquarters. So they said, okay, we're going to send Barnabas and Paul and we're going to send two other people with us and you're going to go up to Jerusalem and you're going to find out what is the truth. So they went up to Jerusalem and they got and met the council, which was the head people. You know, Peter and John and James. Those were the head apostles there in Jerusalem. And they talked to them about the problem. And they said, no, 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 no. We, are not, we were not the ones who sent those people out. And they wrote a letter and they sent it back with Paul and Barnabas. And so Paul and Barnabas were the ones that kept going around from church to church, teaching the word of God and from city to city. They had been through some good times together. But can I tell you, when you're doing good things, the enemy is planning some bad things as well. And so there comes a point when they were in the city, when the devil stirred up some people who didn't believe in their policies, who didn't believe in their teachings, who didn't believe what they were teaching, and they stoned Paul almost to death. In fact, they thought he was dead. They dragged him out to the city, left him to die there. And when, they, when the brethren surrounded him, miraculously, God had saved him. And he stood up. And he lived. And he and Barnabas went on to some other cities to preach the gospel. Now, they came down to the city in Antioch. And they made a circuit all the way around to the earth and came back to Antioch. One day they were there and the apostle... Paul says to Barnabas, you know what? I think we need to go back to some of those cities that we had visited, that we had preached at, some of those small towns. Let's go back and encourage the brethren. And Barnabas says, I'd like to take Mark with me. 
You remember who Mark was. Paul says, oh no, not that young man. You can take somebody else, but I'm not taking that deserter with me. And Barnabas says, what's wrong with taking with Paul, Mark? I mean, you've you got to give him a chance. And Paul says, I'm telling you, I'm not taking him. And the Bible says, out of that one little incident, they got into a heated argument. You know, sometimes you can get off into such, some minor things can create a major problem. Did you know that? We allow some simple things to create some major issues. And sometimes in the church, that happens. Brethren that used to eat together, break bread together, visit each other, pray with each other, and one little thing come between them, and boom, it's a big thing, and it's a big fuss, and it's a separation. The argument was so heated, the Bible says, that Barnabas took Mark, and he went west, and, and Paul took Silas, and he went east. They divided, they were split. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Could it have been different? Was there a way to handle this conflict so that there could be harmony and unity? These bosom buddies, these two men of God that had worked so well, that God had used together powerfully, why is it they could not work it out at that time? I want to bring in someone who is going to help us to understand how we need to deal with this. What we need to do when we have conflict and to look at it. She's an attorney. She's doing her PhD in confrontation, in, in actually mediation, how to deal with conflict. She's from a far country. She's from the motherland. She's from Nigeria. So let's welcome Sister Chineri Obina as she comes. Thank you so much, Pastor, once again, for this opportunity to continue with your message. Um, I appreciate the, um, the privilege, and I want to thank you for what you do for this church, for the support you give to us, and to you also, Pastor Diary. Good afternoon, church. Okay, so Pastor has started us with a wonderful backdrop to the story of Paul and Barnabas, and the conflict that arose out of their desire to go back to visit with the churches they had gone to on the first missionary trip. So they shared a common objective, which was to see how these churches were doing. But they had a conflict, and Pastor explained that with the whole story from Acts of the Apostles chapter 4 to chapter 15, when the conflict took place, okay? So we see, if we look at the screen, we see a rope. But that's no ordinary rope, there's something happening with that rope because that's not how a normal rope should look like, right? And the rope has a function. It's supposed to be strong because it's supposed to bind things together or hold them up. But we see there's something going on with that rope. And I want to connect it to um, verse 39 of um, the Bible passage that Pastor read, which says, then the contention became so sharp, this is the New King James Version, that they parted with one another. The contention became so sharp. Paul was determined that 
John Mark was not going with them. And we all know the reason why. Because he deserted them during the first trip. And I don't think any of us would like, you know, I think many of us will act in that way. Because if someone disappointed you the first time, the tendency is that you don't want to deal with that person because there's a high possibility that it will reoccur the second time. And so we understand. We acknowledge point, Paul's point of view and we understand that. But John Mark was also determined and insisted that uh, uh, Barnabas, I'm sorry, was also determined and insisted that John Mark was going to go with them. So as Paul was insisting and Barnabas was determined, that rope that bound them together, remember the exploits they did as they worked together for God. That rope that bound them together was nothing, right? As this person was saying, John Mark is going to come with us. This person will say, no, he's gonna, not going to come with us. That rope was snapping until it finally snapped and they split. And uh, Paul went with Silas one way and Barnabas went with John Mark another way. And that was a big conflict in the church. Okay? And like Pastor said, it happens even in the church today. He told a story of the deacons that came to church with machetes right? Think about it. We can't make that connection. I can't make that connection. Dickens on one side, machetes on the other side. You can't make that connection. Dickens are supposed to come to church with their Bibles, right? And not with machetes. So, but conflict is something that happens every day. It happens in all contexts, and we're going to learn that. Pastor had already talked about what, what comes to mind. What's the image that comes to your mind? when you think about conflict, conflict metaphors. And as we are seated here differently, I, different people, I know that we look at conflict, we view conflict in different ways because no two people are the same. Like they would say, no two fingerprints are the same. Um, they are called conflict metaphors. And I just want us to think individually, just be intentional about it. What comes to your mind when you think of conflict? When the word is mentioned, what comes to your mind? What is it? 10, 20 seconds, just think about it briefly. Because I just want to go to what conflict used to mean to me. In those days, as um, Pastor said, I have a, a, a legal background. I was trained as a lawyer, but I'm trying to make a transition to the field of conflict resolution because I see it has more possibilities of how to resolve conflict than the legal profession, which only knows litigation. Okay, so that used to be my metaphor. That's a trial court. And so you're there, you see those two gentlemen, they are all suited up to do battle, okay? They're going to war, so to speak. And the person on the other side is their opponent, and that's how they see them. They might have gone to a party or a bar the night before as friends, but I tell you, at this time, they are opponents, and they are willing to vanquish each other. They are going to use whatever they have to ensure that they win. Okay, and so they go in it to win it. And so that used to be my metaphor for conflict. But as I made my transition to conflict resolution, knowing what I know now about conflict, I don't know it all. I'm still in the journey, in the process. But knowing what I know now, I've made the transition from seeing conflict as you know, a win-win situation where I can go in and vanquish my opponents and come out celebrating to this. Now, this is the end product of my metaphor. It is not the metaphor. The metaphor is the process the woman went through, you know, to come to this stage, the birthing process. 
We know if a woman is nine months pregnant, she can say, you know what? I changed my mind. I think I want to go back to before I got pregnant. No. When you get into that room, you have to do the business, right? We know you do the business. And that business, that process, and we, the women understand what I'm saying. And for the men who have been gracious enough to accompany their wives to that room, you understand what I'm saying as well. The process is not easy. It is challenging. It is tasking, right? But when you go through it, this is what comes out of it. What comes out of it is joy. What comes out of it is growth. What comes out of it is addition. That woman went in as one person with a protruding, you know, something, something, and came out with another baby. So there's an addition. And so that's what conflict means to me. It is necessary. It is part of our everyday life. We have to go through it and then come out, you know, with, with grow, grown from the, from the time that we went in. There is a growth process. You can't grow if you don't, um, you know, flex your, your muscles. And you missed during the morning service. Pastor showed us physically how to grow your physical muscles <laughs> during the first service. So you guys missed. Yeah. Okay, so moving on. Um, I want us to define conflict. When we talk about conflict, we have our metaphors, we have our understanding, but how does it feel? How is conflict defined formally? Um, there's a lot of uh, definitions in the field, but this is one of my favorites. It's uh, from two authors um, in conflict resolution, and they say that conflict is an expressed struggle between at least two or more interdependent parties who perceive incompatible goals, um, scarce resources, and interference from others in achieving their goals. Okay, so that is highly academic. It is quite long. You know, it took me a while to get all of that into my head. And so what I'm going to do is try to unpack that definition. And so we, I want to do that with two pictures. The first point of that definition says that conflict is an expressed struggle. It's not something going on in our brains that no one can see. When you're in conflict, people know that you're in conflict because of maybe your facial expressions or you communicate it verbally. And we see that these two guys are bearing down on each other, right? We don't know what's going on, but obviously they're in conflict. It is being expressed, okay? And then the family on the right is the same thing. The parents are going at it, the children, they know what's going on. Um, and they, they, they are also a part of it because they are related to their parents, okay? So it's an expressed struggle. That's what conflict is. And then it's going on between two or more interdependent parties. And when you hear interdependence, what does that mean? They are closely related. There's a close relationship. They depend on each other. And you know that the closer the relationship, the more the, the more the possibility of conflict and the more emotional that conflict will be. Because just think of it, a conflict between a man, a husband and a wife is different between conflict between two neighbors because the relationship between the man and the wife is closer because of the, the high emotional content of that relationship. And so it will transfer to the, the conflict itself. Okay, so you look at those two men, they are probably business partners. And that's why they're bearing on each other. If they were just neighbors on a, on a flat, I don't think they're going to be bearing on each other because you can simply decide to move out if you, want, if you don't want to deal with the person. But they have to deal with each other because they are probably business partners. And the same for that family. They live together in the home. They have interactions. 
And so they are closely related, and the possibility of conflict is quite high. And then um, the perceived incompatible goals. So sometimes you have goals, but they are incompatible with each other. What do we do? For this businessman, it could be, should we do the contract or should we abandon it? That's an incompatibility there. And we can translate that to our lives where the people that we're closely related to, we have had these issues with them where we want to go to, um, for instance, want to take a cruise and the partner doesn't want a cruise. That's an incompatibility there. That's conflict. Okay? And then sometimes it's scarce resources. We perceive. And the key word there is perception because sometimes it's not happening. The resources are not scarce. It's just that we think that they are scarce. And then that leads to conflict. You can see in that family, you see the fruits in front of them. There are four of them. I don't know if that fruit will be enough for every one of them. And maybe that's where the source of the conflict is. Okay, so they're thinking maybe the, the, we need to get more. And the man is saying, you need to go to the store and get more. And the woman is saying, no, this will be enough. And the, because there's a perception that it won't be enough. And then there is a conflict. And then you have interference from others from achieving your goals. And that's exactly what happened in the case of Paul and Silas. They had a common objective. It was understood what they wanted to do. They wanted to go back the second time. It was needful for them to do that. But how do they do that? Do we take John Mark? No, Paul says, I'm not going to take John Mark. Yes, we're going to take John Mark, Barnabas says. And because Paul, as far as he was concerned, we would be very successful without John Mark. This is the way I want to achieve it. And Barnabas says, no, we will be less successful if we don't take him. And we all see this in our lives where we want to do something and we feel someone is in the way. And when we feel that or when that is actually happening, that's a conflict right there. Okay? And so we go on. I just, um, there's some points I want to make about conflict. Some of them are actually myths that we have about conflict. And that was why uh, when pastor said, what do you think about conflict? And when I also asked that question, because there are some ideas that we have of conflict that's not true. And I want to disabuse your mind you know, about some of them and also emphasize some of them. And the first point is that um, conflict is a fact of human existence. As long as we're here on earth, as long as we're alive, as long as we're in interaction with people, whether it be in our families, in our workplaces, in the church, there is going to be conflict. And so if you're going through conflict right now, or if you do get into one in the future, you don't need to be uh, shaken to the core because, oh, something abnormal is happening to me. No, conflict is normal. It is normal. And to get that point out there is very important because people have had to, you know, take some decisions because they are going through things and they don't think it's normal. So it's normal, okay? Um, the second point, it, it occurs in all facets of life. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, there's going to be conflict. So don't say, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom because when I used to work, I used to enter into a lot of disagreements, contention with my coworkers, and I think I should just stay at home because it would be easier. Tell you what, I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time too, and I did face some conflicts with my children. Okay, I, did, I had four of them, so I had conflicts on multiple sides. So be changing profession or changing location, it's not going to solve the problem. You live in Nigeria, you live in the United States, you're going to have conflict. Okay? Second, oh, I'm sorry about that. I keep saying this. Um, it takes place in all kinds of settings. 
It takes place in all kinds of settings, whether in your workplace or in the church. And I want to pause here for, for emphasis because the passage that forms our backdrop happened in the church and happened amongst ministers, like the Dickens story that Pastor told. Dickens coming to church with Machete and having Paul and Barnabas, people high, held in high esteem. They planted church. They are forefathers. Everyone wants to be like Paul, right? Paul, the great apostle. But here he is involved in a conflict, not just a small conflict, but one that was so intense that there was a separation. So if that happened to them, what makes us think that it will not happen to us today? So conflict happening in the church is normal, okay? It will happen. I know we have this idea of one big loving family, and we are one big loving family in Living World Open Bible Church, and that's why I'm here, because I saw that and I stayed, but that doesn't mean that there is no uh, possibility of conflict arising. But it is what to do with the conflict that's very important. And the fourth point is that conflict is not inherently bad. Because I saw the reaction when Pastor said, what do you think when, when you hear conflict? I go, oh, you know? Because conflict is not, we see it as something bad. The first three words, letters of that word says C-O-N, which is con, and it means against. And so it, it gives a negative connotation and we think that conflict is bad. Conflict is not in itself bad. The important thing is what you do with conflict, how you deal with it. In this uh, passage that we use, what did Paul and Barnabas do? What did they do? And when they separated, was there something? Did they come back and say, you know what? I don't think we should have you know, parted ways. I don't think we should have you know, been so emotional about taking John Mark. Whether we take John Mark or not, the most important thing is that we want to preach the word. So next time, what do we do so that this is not the result? A separation is not the result of, um, of the conflict. Okay, so we're going to talk about conflict resolution strategies. But before we do that, I just want to talk about how do we typically approach conflict? What's our conflict style? As we sit here and as I go on, I want us to locate ourselves, you know, in these conflict styles I'm going to discuss. Because just like the, our temperaments are different, so do we have conflict styles. You may be one of those styles, but the goal is that whatever your style is, that you tweak it a bit so that it fits into that definition of what uh, a good conflict resolution style should look like. And look, talking about the conflict styles, I want to start with the avoiding style. I mean, these are the people that they don't, they don't want to engage. They don't want to communicate with the conflict. You know what they will say? I'll think about it tomorrow. And the thing is, they will never think about it, whether tomorrow or ever. That's the thing. They don't want to um, engage. And when you talk about the topic of conflict, they change the topic. They avoid it. But the thing is, this, the, whatever you sweep under the carpet, what happens when you want to clean house? Is it there or is magically disappeared? No, it's right there. And then because there may be even a current conflict going on, there is even a, you know, more conflict. And you know what? Just like the woman in labor, you can't take a vacation at that point. You have to deal with it. That's the string. You have to deal with it. And then the second group is the competing group. And this is what they say. My way or the highway. You take it or you leave it. Remember the trial court I showed, the scene where the lawyers are there to do battle? That's the competitor. They go in there to win. They don't care so much about the perspective of the other side. It's only about them. They are very aggressive. 
they come in bearing down on people and they expect you to come to their side. And that's the competitor. And like I said earlier, just, you know, flow with me, go, come with me and locate yourself within the styles and see, oh, I think I'm an avoider. I know what I used to be. I'm not going to tell you. I know what I used to be before I, I, I got in and I know how I'm, you know, making the transition to what should be um, the appropriate uh, conflict resolution strategy. And you have the compromisers and they say half a, a loaf of bread is better than none. And these people, they seek easy solutions, easy, quick solutions to conflict, which is not very good because it's almost like they avoid us. If you do easy, quick fix, what happens is don't, you don't fix it all, right? And a part of it goes under the carpet and surely one day it's going to be compounded by another, another conflict that comes along. So this is not a very good com um, conflict resolution style, but that's the way some people know because of their nature or because of the experiences that they've had through life. And then you have the accommodating people that say, I'm happy to oblige. I'm happy to just give in. And these people, they give in easily. And one thing about them also is that they deny their own needs. The, good, the thing about conflict resolution is that you have to acknowledge your own interests. You have to acknowledge your own pain. You have to acknowledge your own emotions. Whatever it is that is bugging you has to be communicated or else you're not going to get resolved. And when they are not communicated, you know what? It's just like sweeping it under the carpet because when it comes up again, you're going to go like, the last time you did this. And the person is like, you never told me. I never heard it. Because the person is the accommodator that says, I'm happy to oblige. I don't need to say it, but you need to say it. It needs to be said. The last uh, conflict style is the collaborators who say two heads are better than one. And even to say it better, two good heads are better than one. And so this person takes responsibility for their own role in the conflict. They are flexible. They support the, the um, interests and the goals of the other person. So like they, are like, they are unlike the competitors that think only about themselves. They validate their own positions and interests as well as those of others. And they are very flexible. They are not aggressive. They are not bearing down on people. They are willing to make compromises as well. So I, I know as I've you know, gone on, you have said to yourself, what am I? Who am I? And as you've done this, as you've gone on, then you can know how to tweak it so that um, you can become that person that resolves conflict in a very constructive way, okay? So talking about conflict resolution strategies, pastor asked that question. What would they have done? Could we have gotten a better result? And even as we are in conflict, that's some of the questions we ask. What can I do? Because sometimes we struggle. These things are not easy. But when we do them consistently, intentionally, we find that we arrive at that good place, at that picture of that lady I showed you with her baby. You see the white smile on her face? She, she said to herself, wow, I did it. I accomplished something. I've grown. And you know what? When she goes in the second time, it's not going to be with the same mindset, right? Those of us who have done it, we know. You're going in with more confidence because you know what to expect. And because you did it before, you can do it again. So I'm going to talk about some of the strategies. The first one is reflective, active listening. I know that some of us have heard this, but there's nothing wrong with taking another refresher course. You know, reflective, active listening, it doesn't just mean to hear what the person is saying. It means to listen actively, to listen in a reflective way. What does that mean? You listen, 
you hear what the person is saying and you reflect it back to the person. You can say words like, did I hear you say that you're frustrated, right? When you say that to that person, it tells the person that I hear you, I validate your point, and I want to hear more. And when that happens, there's a possibility, tendency that the person is, you know, willing to say more, okay? So reflecting, uh, listening reflectively, not listening with one ear to the person and another ear on the, on the on latest episode of the latest soap opera. I, I don't watch them, so I don't know what the latest is, but that's what some people listen. And, and for some of us, it's the football warriors versus whoever. And they say, I'm listening, I'm listening. But you know that they are watching Steve Curry and seeing whether he's going to shoot the next basket, you know? That's not reflective listening. That's what I'm saying. It means listening to the person, you know, with your body, with your face, facial expression shows, I'm listening to you. Second is externalize the problem. You externalize the issue. In conflict, you have issues. It could be that someone is overspending. It could be that someone doesn't trust another person. And so there are issues. We know we've been in conflict and we, we can count the, the issues in, in conflict. To externalize the problem means that the person you're in conflict with is not the problem. The problem is the problem, and you have to say that. And the example I used, and I said in the morning, I used the example of overspending. For instance, if there's a conflict about overspending, someone is overspending in the home, and you're discussing this conflict, you don't say, you overspend. Because once you say you overspend, what happened? The, the response is what? I don't overspend. That's the response. And in this case, you see it's about the person. But when you say overspending is the problem, what do we do about overspending? So overspending takes a life somewhat. And what does that do? It removes the person. The person becomes less defensive because you have made the issue in contention the problem, right? And not the person. So we can do this no matter what the um, issue is, whatever it's called. You can call it by name and treat it as if it's something living. It changes the whole situation. It de-escalates the, the atmosphere and makes for a shared and common understanding and works towards resolution. Then we have dealing with emotions. This is very critical. Because before now, the thinking, even in the field, is that emotions are not important in conflict resolution. You know, just, just, just drop them by the side. Let's deal with the hard issues. There are hard issues here. Let's deal with the hard issues. Emotions, oh no, forget them. But with research and studies, I've come to find that emotions are critical in conflict and its resolution. Emotions cause conflict. Emotions escalate conflict, you know? And if you have to deal with the conflict, resolve them, manage them, or whatever you want to do with the conflict in a constructive way, you have to deal with the emotions. It's very important that you deal with the emotions. And how do you do this? How do you do this? Um, I um, recognize and understand both and others' emotions. How you deal with the emotions is to recognize and understand what you're feeling. Am I angry? Am I frustrated? Because if you don't understand what you're feeling, you can't even deal with it. 
So you have to understand what you're feeling and what um, the other party is feeling. Secondly, you have to express those feelings in a non-confrontational way because you're already feeling emotional. You're already, you know, hyped up. And you can compound it by being confrontational. It's going to escalate the conflict, and it will not lead to its resolution. And you can do that by using I statements, by making the focus on yourself. I feel angry at this moment, if you must know. I feel frustrated. You're making you the subject, and that removes, because when you say, you make me angry, what you're doing is that you're making the person is going to be defensive, and it's not going to solve the problem. And so you focus on yourself and tell the person the way you're feeling. And uh, acknowledge the other person's emotions as legitimate. We do this sometimes, and we tell the person, you're not supposed to be feeling this way. You're too matured for that. You're too uh, educated for that. You're not supposed to feel that way. But you know what? The person is feeling that way. It, that's the way the person is feeling, especially if they have communicated that to us. We have to validate that feeling. It may be right. It may be wrong. We come to judgment part later. But at that point, you have to legitimize it and say, the person is feeling it. I understand it. You cannot delegitimize it because that will not be helpful at that time. We're talking about de-escalation. That's very important if we have to reach resolution or management. And lastly, if a threat is imminent, if people are in conflict and emotions are on the rise and there's a threat of violence, please leave the scene. You have to exit, okay? Take a moment and just say, well, okay, we'll continue this conversation. I'm coming. I have to go to the kitchen right now. You know, you say, don't say, Sister Chinyere said, you have to be non-confrontational. And someone is with a machete and, you know, and you're being non No, take a, take a moment to, to take an exit, okay, at that point. We can come back and go through these strategies again and, and, and seek for ways to resolve conflict. The most important thing, foundation, is to engage, is to communicate. But I've just, what I've just taken you through is how to engage and communicate in a constructive way, okay? So what we've learned today is that conflict is a fact of human existence. It's gonna be here. As long as we're on this side of eternity, we're going to have conflict. The only way not to have conflict is to check out. Yeah. The only way not to have conflict is say, you know what? I don't want to have a family. I don't want to have friends. I don't want to be a member of Living World Open Bible Church. Is that possible? No, it's not possible. And so we live with conflict, but we know that conflict in itself is not bad. The important thing is what to do with it. Deal constructively with it so that if you ever find yourself in this kind of situation, whether you're in it right now or you go into it later, we want you to trans transit from this point to this point where there is joy, where there is growth. You see they have more fruits. I think the mother has come to the understanding that you know, there's a scarcity, and so I have to get more fruits so that we can resolve the conflict after they have had a conversation and they, you know, they communicated in a respectful way, non-confrontational way, acknowledge each other and their own point, and they got to this point where there is enough fruit for everyone and everyone is happy. That family has undergone, undergone a process of change and growth. And you know when there is less fruit again, that the mother is not going to, 
be screaming at each other. They're going to know now that this is not the right way. The right way is to engage in a constructive way so that they will continue to be like this. So I hope that's the, the goal for all of us, that when we're in conflict, we apply some of these strategies uh, to get to that uh, point of resolution. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sister Bino. We have learned because we're a church as a family, amen? And families have conflict. And uh, we are starting small groups. And guess what you're going to experience in the small group? Conflict. And because you experience conflict in a small group, you don't say, well, I don't want to like the small group. I'm going to go over and drive over there. You're going to get more conflict over there too? There is going to be conflict anywhere you go. The issue then, as she said, it's not a matter that conflict is inherently itself bad. I was thinking the same thing about money. Money is not bad. And the Bible never said money is bad. It said the what? The love of money is the problem. You know, you see this money in my pocket? It doesn't give one trouble. That's why I can put it back and you don't, you're not getting it. It's not causing me any problem. I have no conflict with the money. You may have, but I don't. It's the love of it. And that's the problem. If I love it too much, that becomes the issue. So it's the same thing. Conflict by itself is not bad. And in fact, one of the things that she pointed out, which we learned, is that when conflict is resolved properly, intimacy increases. So when you're in a relationship and you learn to resolve conflict, as she explained, in the collaborative way, where we don't avoid it, we don't try to run away from it, we don't try to just uh, compromise, but we actually recognize my fault in the problem and recognize that conflict takes place with when you're, there's something you did and something I did. And my willingness to say, I am sorry. And we don't say, if I did anything to hurt you. Come on now. We're not trying to resolve anything by saying if. The if is trying to say, I, I don't think I did anything, but you are thinking that, but I am not thinking that. No, no, no. If a, a conflict arises, it's not just on one side only. And be willing, the Bible says, to just accept responsibility. And the Bible says you would say, I'm sorry. I hurt you. I, did, I, I didn't mean to. That's not what I intended. Let's talk about it. I know that you, I can see that you're upset. And that's not what I want. I want us to be at peace. I want us to be in harmony. So please forgive me. And then we can talk about it. And like she says, and so the problem becomes a problem and not the person, which is very critical. In a lot of marriages, that's a typical problem, is that we make the person the problem. You remember, we wrestle not against what? But against principalities and powers. And so when, 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 when Peter said something to Jesus that wasn't true, Jesus didn't turn around and says, I rebuke you, Peter. 
He says, I rebuke you what? I rebuke you Satan. But who was he pointing to? Peter. He was pointing to Peter and says, I rebuke you Satan. Now, if you do that to somebody here today, they're going to say, who you calling Satan? <laughs> but, but the problem, the, the issue though, is that Jesus recognized that Satan was the issue. He was the one stirring up Peter and working through Peter. Peter was not. So you're, 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 the person you're having a conflict with is not the real enemy. The enemy is who? The devil. He is the enemy. And he's trying to sow discord. And so that's why, because he doesn't want us to get along. He doesn't want us to get along. He doesn't want us to be together. He doesn't want harmony. He doesn't want unity. Because he knows if we are united, he's in trouble. If we stand together, he doesn't stand a chance. And so anything to sow discord in the middle. And sometimes the simple things that create conflict. Have you ever had a problem when you look back at it and said, especially if you're married, the stupidity of what this discussion was about and this argument with your final, when you stop and think about what caused the argument, you realize there is no way you should have an argument over that. But we allow ourselves to get into those things because, you know, the flesh rises up. That's really what it is. The flesh rises up. And so we start responding to the flesh and we say things that we shouldn't say. And then if I say something, you know, pointing fingers, you, you're always doing this. You're always doing that. And then, of course, the person is going to be like, you heard defend, defensive, it's going to be a problem. But today, thank God that there is a way to resolve conflict. Isn't that true? And we thank our sister for doing that. So let's give her a hand for doing a great job. So I want us to leave here today to go forth and if there's a conflict with someone, you don't know how to deal with it. You cannot deal with it by avoidance. It's not going to go away by itself. We have to what? Confront it. And I always like to say confrontation is not contention. In other words, confrontation does not have to be contentious. I can confront you in a kind, gentle way. I can come to you and say, I'd like to speak to you for a moment. Or when can I come and talk with you? And when you go to talk to the person, your best bet is to always start with yourself. I know that something I did or said upset you. This is not what I want. This was not what I intended. I don't want things to remain the way they are right now. I would like to bring about change. And that's why I'm here. How can we do this? You know, humility goes a long way. As you humble yourself, and acknowledge and you're not pointing fingers or you're not accusing or you're not judging but you're accepting responsibility and when you start with you you always see things works much better 
and the issues are resolved faster and the end result is better and many times relationships that were strained and they cause tension you know you know that when you're living in tension with somebody like maybe on the job and you're thinking tomorrow's Monday morning I gotta go to work and it's Friday this person and I had some issues and I'm not sure you know I'm not ready to face them and and you're, you're going and you're walking up the step and you're getting in the elevator and you're going to see them short and you're thinking, what am I going to say? Am I gonna, what, what am I going to do? And how, how are they going to react? That creates a lot of tension. You don't want to live on the tension. God doesn't create us to live like that. He wants us to live with peace and harmony where we can go in the elevator, we can look into work, we get up there, we don't have to be worried about what we're going to see or feel. And the reason why that happens is because we fail to engage, as she said. And engaging in a nice way always works. I pull the person aside and I start with me. I start with me. I always start with who? Me. If you start with me, there's no problem. I am, I, I. Because I, there's a part that I play. If that was nice and wonderful, the person would be upset with me. Something went, something I did where the person was upset. Something I said. My wife is right there. So I have to go and I have to say, dear, I'm so sorry for what I said. And I'm genuinely confessing right now. <laughs> so I'm playing it out right in front of you. So you can see. You, you, and, and sometimes we, we, we feel, you know, you have to be brave enough to just do it. You're not going to lose anything by acknowledging that you made a mistake. You're not going to lose anything by acknowledging that you were wrong. It's not the competition, as she says. Well, I, I, you know, I, I know I didn't start it, so I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not saying it. They were wrong. Maybe they were wrong. But what do you want? Peace, right? And if peace says, as Jesus says, give up my rights, my right to be right, and I can say, I'm sorry. Because you're sorry now because there is a tension. Something not right. And even though you may be thinking you're not the one who started it, but there's nothing more wonderful. We just started, we just read that. How wonderful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. How pleasant it is. So I want us to dwell together in unity and to feel that thing. So I'm going to approach you and I'm going to apologize. And I take the high road. Rather than thinking, well, you know, in a day, I'm not. No, 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 Pastor, you don't understand. They were wrong. They may have been 100% wrong. But you know what? By me going, you never know where that resolution with the issue could take you. You go to the person that says, I'm sorry. We, we, 
where we are right now is not what I want. And I don't want to be in this. I know that I hurt you. And I want to ask your forgiveness. And I want us to make things better. How can we go about it? You know, there's nothing wrong with asking the person, what can I do to make things better? What can I do to make things better? Because, you know, I found out a long time ago, we all know what the solution is to the problem. We've just not been telling you. <laughs> but in our heads, we know what we know what makes things better. You know, I've, I, I, I gotta, I'm going to stop in a minute. But I'm thinking, when couples comes before me for premarital or marital counseling, I already know that they know what they need to do to make the marriage right. I got to tell you, if you're a couple having a problem right now, both of you know what you need to do to make the marriage right. The only thing is you're being stubborn and everybody's refusing to move first and the other person is waiting when he moves, I will move faster. Then he says, when she moves faster, I will move. And that's what's going on in the head. But they each know what would bring a, what would make the difference to make the relationship better. And it's the same thing. So conflicts are going to take place, as you heard. Can't run away from it. But it can be resolved. And when it is done well, it makes the relationship stronger. Stronger. On the job with your boss, co-worker, a sibling, a brother or sister in the church, you can have a better relationship and a stronger relationship and just resolve that conflict as was discussed today. What we want when you have healthy families in the church, you have a healthy church. And conflict creates unhealthy situations. So part of today was to help us to figure out how to make the body of Christ healthier. Amen? Let's all stand together. Hallelujah. Our first time guests, we are going to invite you to our hospitality suite. And uh, none today. What did I miss? I missed something. I know that. Oh, we have a christening? Okay, I missed that. So you may be seated. I, be, they be, I see when you, don't, when you don't moderate, you miss some things. Okay, so we have Elijah, Ethan, Pritchard. Where, uh, Elijah, come on, bring Elijah up. Amen. Mother Devine and Father Gregory and other relatives and friends are here. Stand with them. Good to see you. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let her, let her. All right. 
<laughs> That's Elijah. What a powerful name. Elijah Ethan Pritchard. Amen. Well, you know, the Bible says, bring the little children to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. The disciples try to tell him, send them away, but Jesus says, no, bring them to me. And the Bible says he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. And that's what we do in Living Word Open Bible. We put them in our arms and bless them. But before we pray for the child, we ask blessing on you. Because you are going to have to raise the child. And guess what? You're going to need all the wisdom and all the help you can get in this society to raise the children. So we want to pray for you first. Amen? So, Father, we thank you for this family and friends who have come together to bring Elijah before you. We ask you, Lord, that you remember them, that your hand will be upon them, that you'll give them the wisdom they need, the guidance to raise him in a godly manner. We commend them to your Father, and we place them in your care. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now I'm going to take Elijah. Elijah Ethan Pritchard. You see mommy? There you go. And all the others. All right. So we're going to ask God's blessing on him today. This is what they did for Jesus. They brought him to the temple that he may be blessed. And we're going to do the same. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for every child, for every life. Because he is not an accident. You have sent him on a mission by design. Lord, I've given him that name, Elijah. It's a powerful name. A name means something in the Bible. Names were important. Name represents who they want him to be. So this, he's supposed to be a mighty warrior in the kingdom of God. So Father, from this very tender age, we ask you that your hand will be upon him. That he would indeed be like an Elijah. Not compromising the gospel, but standing up for the kingdom of God. Standing up to the adversaries, not afraid, but bold and courageous. Declaring the marvels of God and the wonders of God. I pray for him today, Lord. Oh, that you would bless Elijah indeed and enlarge his territory. That your hand would be with him. That you would keep him from evil. May he never cause pain. Lord, I pray you supply his every need. Provide for him. Open doors for him. Make a way for him. Keep him, Lord. Let your hand be upon him all the days of his life. And one day when he stands before you, may he hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we commend him to you today. And we anoint him with oil in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Be blessed of God. Amen. Well, that's what he's supposed to do. God bless you. He needs his food. That's all right. That's a good sign. Amen. Well, blessings on you all. Give them a good hand as they go back. Praise God. And then let's all stand together. Hallelujah.
bless the name of Jesus. Remember, there's no service tonight, the second Sunday. We don't have services on Sunday, second Sunday evening. But uh, next Sunday, next week, I want you to bring a friend with you. We're going to have the president of Open Bible Churches with us. You've never met the president of Open Bible Churches worldwide. He's going to be with us on Sunday. And uh, so you're going to get to see our president and his wife. They'll be here. He'll be ministering the word for us on Sunday. And he happens to be here for Pastor's Appreciation Sunday day as well, one of the Sundays. So we have him ministering. So that's going to be a wonderful treat. All right. So let's look forward to that time. And uh, we give God praise. All right. Raise your hand as you pronounce the benediction. And our first-time guests, remember, they're going to invite you to our hospitality suite. Sister Ruth is back there. She'll escort you, and you'll be refreshed before you leave. Those who invite you, you're welcome to take you as well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. As together we say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, first time guests. If you'll slip out, and uh, Sister Ruth will escort you to our hospitality.